Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of Mastering Dungeons. I am your host, Sean Merwin, here with my co-host and recent hangover uh, COVID shot patient, Teos Avidia. Teos, are you with us fully? I am 99% with you. Uh, I have a slight sort of like, well, it feels like someone punched me in the arm. And then my head feels a little bit like there's some like cotton balls somewhere in there instead of the full cognitive load I should have. But otherwise, shot number two is down. I'm pretty Sweet. excited. Got it yesterday. And uh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm on my feet. I'm feeling pretty good. All right. So, well, we all know that Teos at 99% is twice as effective as Sean at, at 100%. So we not true. You are we the are, leading other brand. <laughs> we, I, yes, I am brand X. <laughs> I, I am the uh, the saline solution to your COVID shot. The quick picker up picker upper to I don't know, but you right. get your second shot this week. So I do exciting. in a couple of days. I by the time this show drops, I should be lying on my floor moaning in pain. <laughs> it's uh, all worth it. Very important. Everybody get their shots. Yes, I, uh, I got mine at a Walmart. Long story, but the. Uh, there's the highs of getting your second shot because you feel this immense relief that you've somehow made it through this entire pandemic and not contributed to it. And you're mm -hmm. now going to be uh, less contribution and also protected. And then you walk down the aisle to go where they give you the shot. And I pass two different people not wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And it's like, ah, oh, come yeah. on. Come yeah. on. We can do this, people. Come together. So yep. everybody listening, get your shots. Yep, I got mine in a quickie lube. So that's... <laughs> That's you know. a different thing. That's not that, a shot. That, that, oh, okay. They oh, told you, me it was you, a COVID <laughs> shot. But hey, who knows? Did they put you on the thing that goes up and down? Yeah, be cool. exactly. That, that oh, was yeah. the whole reason I went there. Worth it. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of up and down, uh, there is news about the D&D movie. It was first delayed uh, a year from November 19th to May 27th of 2021 and 2022 and now it has been delayed yet again according to paramount and e1 hasbro's entertainment division the release date is now set for march of 2023 and it's not clear if this will impact any of the other uh shows movies anything else coming out that is D, &D related but we are still, it hasn't been canceled. So we're going to call that a, a moral victory. I mean, you know, I, I think this is actually probably good news. I mean, it hurts a little because you're sort of getting antsy as you, as you saw, you know, pictures of who's on it and stuff like that. It starts getting feeling real yeah. to now hear it's delayed. But, you know, like part of this is that whole thing of they trying to get a big business going. Mm -hmm. And if nobody's going to theaters it's a yeah. lot harder to do right and and i don't think you want this to go like direct to 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 video you, you would love to have this be the traditional big film thing right where people would flock to it hopefully so i i get, I get it and and if it and the other thing is you know this is one of these things where you sort of can't take too long doing mm -hmm. it right get it right so i'm yeah. all for it yep it it the interesting part for me is like Marvel tried to do with their Agents of Shield show, having it sync up with the the theatrical releases, syncing up with the television releases, obviously takes a lot of work. Yeah. And to have anything delay like that either interrupts their ability to do that or cancels it completely. Yeah, though yeah. it's not clear, I mean, from that interview that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's not clear whether it's more of a sort of Mandalorian thing. Right. 
you know, there's so many stories to D&D. D&D doesn't have any single story. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily problematic. And you could probably, I mean, if, if the truth is, right, they say they have a script and sort of a, a pitch for the TV, a script for the movie, pitch for the TV show. So if that's the case, you can sync them up along some lines, right? Choose sure. uh, an enemy of your choice, right, in the Forgotten Realms or whatever, and that's some theme that you're going to tie into and now tell your own story, right? And, and if one comes first or the other, it might might work out just fine. In fact, yeah. releasing the TV show first, maybe that's genius, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, and, you know, it, there is no... There's been no um, publicity that has said there's any connection between them. It's just, you know, it'd be it'd be yeah. kind of cool if there was. Yeah, you know, yeah. But and I mean, I'm just hoping for my D and D cartoon show to be announced. <laughs> That's what I've wanted for I don't know how long. Well, since the other one ended, I guess. And right. I, I keep thinking this will be the thing. It'll be that secret thing, and I want to hear like Greg Tito talk about it or something. You know, mm-hmm. and just we will keep our ear to the ground in any uh rumors of such a thing happening i want i want to throw my birthday party and have D cartoon birthday plates like i could back in the 80s that's what oh, i want wow. John. is that what you want <laughs> that's I what i wanted uh, the little napkins that match you know what i'm yeah. talking about okay you yeah. don't want much you don't want much do, do kids still do that or all their birthdays on youtube i don't know <laughs> so for everybody who's looking for a birthday gift for teos uh <laughs> you now know what what he wants and uh, uh Segway this one. Yeah, I can't segue <laughs> that. Uh, if your birthday is coming up, you could get you the Venture Maidens campaign guide on Kickstarter. Uh, Celeste was on the show talking about it. The Kickstarter is now officially live, and it is already funded. I think it funded in about 30 minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, it will be running for the next few weeks, so you have plenty of time to get over there and uh, get the goodness. And if you want to know what's in the book, just go back a couple episodes and listen to the show yeah. where uh, Celeste laid everything out for us nicely. Yeah, and that whole heroic destiny idea was super cool. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I've already backed this because of that. And uh, I invite everybody to listen to our show and hear about that because that was superb stuff. I'm excited. Yep. Uh, JVC Perry talks about creating a product called The Call from the Deep. You want to walk us through this, Teos? Yeah, I mean, JVC Perry is known for an amazing amount of quality products on the DMs Guild, working with other collaborators, creating really cool stuff. Call from the Deep is a beautiful adventure. And he's been going through on the blog, Josh has been reviewing the process he went through to create this compelling campaign and, and how, how to write a good campaign for, for a product and how to create a product, you know, just how to create a great product. Mm-hmm. Um, he has had previous pieces on planning, on research, um, and then he did one on art and layout and, uh, which is the latest one. This is the fourth in the series and it's great. Like I'm actually dealing with this right now. So it's very helpful to, to try to pick up on, on these ideas of how you work with this, um, full of great trip tips regarding the importance of this step, how you shouldn't overlook it, you know, why a cover matters, things like that, how to handle layout issues and art and all that. Um, but I also think it's worth the kind of thing that I would love more non-creators to read blogs like this so that they can appreciate what it takes to create products like this. Like sometimes I think we take for granted how absurdly beautiful some of the RPGs today are. And and there's so much work that goes into that in really large companies, particularly Paizo or Wizards of the Coast, can do this very easily. But for other companies, even your mid-tiers, this is a big struggle 
and money wise it, it's ex exceedingly expensive right when you're paying hundreds of dollars for every single piece of art but you don't know how much you're gonna sell <laughs> it's right. a very tricky thing to try to figure out around a kickstarter or around a dm's guild release so a really great article i, I really enjoyed that cool and there's another article you want to bring up, uh, Devin Rue on playing blind or visually impaired characters. Yeah, this is another really neat post that everybody should check out. It's filled with advice on role-playing a um, visually impaired or blind character or non-player character. And the, um, the article goes into a lot of really good topics. Uh, the spectrum of being VI, visually impaired or blind, um, really interesting things like how a visually impaired or blind person wants to sort of think about directions left or right from their perspective or as hours on a clock from their perspective at two o'clock at 12 o'clock um, and distance things like paces is more helpful than feet uh, as a sort of discussion of how far away something is uh, a lot of do's and don'ts for things like non-player characters portraying the blind beggar as a tired trope that feels very insulting. The idea that blind people are poor when really any socioeconomic strata can have a blind person and they can be doing just perfectly fine. Um, having their eyes look different is something that's not you know, scientifically necessarily the case, right? Unless there's a reason like uh, in D&D &D lore. Um, and then um, some great information on sort of how differently blind people will use canes or accessibility animals, plot devices that are problematic. And then finally at the end, uh, adapting, uh, and particularly Devner was talking about how in their group, they look at um, the rules of D&D &D and sort of change them a bit because it's an all blind or visually impaired group. So things like the rules that say like that you can see, yeah, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. All our senses can work for that. Or dark vision, they don't really bother with that and then talking about how evocative they make things by describing all of the other senses when they play so yeah a really neat article and um, it doesn't look like i have a link in the show notes but i'll throw it in there before we push it out awesome well the next bit of news involves you teos uh we often get teos's mini moment here on uh, mastering dungeons but you pull out all the stops and went on to owlbear soup uh to talk for at length about minis and D&D &D and RPGs. Uh, so what'd you cover there? Oh, we did a tremendous geek out on minis uh, along with Justin of Albert Soup. Uh, he loves minis too. And so we were like just, you know, putting really fun minis that we loved in front of the camera and trading off on our favorites. And sometimes we had the same mini, which was too cute. Mm -hmm. And we also have a YouTube video where you can actually watch Teos and Justin geek out and see all the minis that they're talking about because they're holding it right up to the cameras. <laughs> yeah, I do. And we did some comparisons. Like uh, there's a real, the saddest mini recently was there is a Yuan-Ti anathema that used to be amazing. There's mm -hmm. like the amazing old version. And the new one is this horribly painted spindly little thing where the other one is this massive writhing awesome snakes. And you're like, yeah. how did you make this one? <laughs> this year when you know that one existed that's so awesome yeah. but then there are other cases you showed where like the new whisked mini is amazing and, a, and an improvement and, and really blows your mind so you know that you get both of it our, our highs and lows there and it was a lot of fun to to be there and then at the end of it we made this absurd uh encounter together uh, everybody was on the show and we had a, just a blast creating that so cool uh there's a link to that that youtube video in our show notes 
And finally, the last bit of news is some new Adventures League releases for the new uh, Adventures League season uh, Plague of Ancients, season 10. There is a new adventure by Paul Gabat, The Fallen Star. It's part six of the series for uh, optimized for seventh level, covering uh, the tier two, five through 10 level characters. If you are more interested in the uh, Eberron campaign, uh, the EB-15 by Celeste Conowich, Dream Eater, is now out for that Oracle of War campaign, part 15. And I wanted to note as well, you can add and supplement your, you can add to your Oracle of War campaign with salvage missions which you can write your own and publish on the DMs Guild or buy them off the Guild. And a particularly interesting one is up called The Last Stand at Copper Canyon by Stacy Allen. Stacy does art and layout for the uh, Oracle of War campaign itself, and she's also written an adventure for it. And this adventure looks amazing. Yeah, I have this, and this is great. Yeah, uh, Stacy Allen does fantastic work. I, I keep showing everybody the covers of these adventures. I'm like, look, look at how good this is. Yep, yep. <laughs> it looks so amazing. And if uh, you follow yeah. the Oracle of War campaign, you know that these salvage missions allow you to create your own base in or near the Mornlands. And so th- this particular adventure allows you to, or forces you to use the base that you've created because that base becomes the center uh, of an attack. So you get to actually put your base to good use in this adventure. So I would check that out. Last stand at Copper Canyon, and there's a link in the show notes. I love how Ebron can be Western, right? Like, that's just one of the great things about that setting. Yeah, you can do so much, so much with it. And the Mornlands, you know, uh, I I worked on, on the campaign up until recently, as you know. But, you know, Will Doyle just had this vision for this campaign that was so good. You know, and right from the start, it had that Western sort of yeah. on, on the frontier feel. That, that's yeah. perfect to to take place in or around the Mornlands. And, you know, it's gone all over uh, Corvair since then. But it always comes back to this sort of dusty, yeah. you know, danger-ridden frontier yeah, and yeah. things like, you know, a showdown with, with you know, right. six tough hombres, right? Yeah. That kind of idea of six gunslinger types that are mm-hmm. around. And, yeah, it's really neat. It's really well done. It's a, it's a cool study in, you know, how to, like, do a Western-themed yep. uh, piece. And and credit, important to say, like, before The Mandalorian came out, right? Like, Very true. This predates it. It's easy to yeah. kind of say, like, oh, yeah, you mean, like, The Mandalorian? Well, yes, but they copied Ebron. We know <laughs> yep. that. They copied yep. Oracle for they you know they that. they must have caught wind of the camp you know earliest adventures and just went from there. Well, with with the news out of the way, we are now going to talk about the player side of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. We're getting close to the end of our look at the character class options. W means warlock. Yeah. And Two so let warlock and then wizard. Yep. So let's uh let's talk about these warlock optional features and then subclasses. Um, For the first optional feature, you get additional Warlock spells. Um, Spells from the Sword Coast uh, Adventures Guide, uh, which were then uh, republished in... uh, Yeah. In Tasha's. In Tasha's, thank you. Uh, 
So, you know, there are several new ones there. Uh, and yeah, a lot of the new summon spells they also get, which fits the, the concept. Mm -hmm. um, and there aren't that many that are, that are from the player's handbook. There's a few, Teleportation Circle and Mislead. Mm -hmm. they're, they're fine. Yep. Yeah. But it's also like the, the Booming Blade, the Green Flame yeah. Blade, all those yeah. usual suspects. Yep. Yep. And, and it's less of an issue in terms of things like Adventures League because that plus one rule is gone. But it's more about the, uh, I think for people who buy this book, they now get that without buying Sword Coast Adventures Guide. So it pulls it all into one place. True story. True story. At third level, you get a new packed boon option. Uh, when you, know, when you um, fail a, an ability check, you can add a D4 to the roll. Uh, you can use this a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and then you need to finish a long rest to restore all those uses. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I like the the general concept of it, of this talisman that you're carrying around. Um, and the idea that you can sort of turn ability checks into successes and succeed a lot, you could, you could get a pretty good amount of mileage out of that concept, I think, in a fun way. Yep. So the, uh, yep. And so this deals with a new pact called, as Teo said, the Pact of the Talisman. And we're going to see more about that as we talk about um, mm -hmm. new Eldritch invocations. So what this, tal the Pact of the Talisman is similar to like the Pact of the Chain or the Pact of the yeah. Tome. It's, it's one of a couple of different choices that you make when you make a warlock character. We, the warlock is such an interesting class. It's um, and it's been I've had fun like late night at places like Winter Fantasy discussing it with some of the designers of D anD D, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think they all feel a little like ah, about the warlock because it it does sort of a number of things in in strange ways, right? And so you get mm -hmm. both this pact and then you get your your sort of source, uh, your patron, right? So right. so it's like there's these two dual pieces that fit together, which is interesting. Yeah, and the Warlock is one of those classes that has not been around as long as the game has. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of a newish attempt by the designers to make a an arcane character, but not as deep into spells as the Sorcerer or the Wizard. Mm -hmm. And because yeah. of that lack of history, it makes them... A, easier to do different things with, but B, harder to get a grasp of the central nugget of what makes them what they are. And so, yeah, yeah that's that's yeah. one of those dual double edged swords that you can use nicely, but you often cut yourself on. Yeah. And of course, they're always about the Eldritch Blast, which is right. both a, a strength and a, a negative design yep. wise. Yep. And the other thing about this Pact of the Talisman is you're actually creating a talisman that you wear, but you can give it to other people. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of this an interesting tact to take when when you think of the warlock or you see it play out as the rules are written, it's all about them, generally speaking. They don't they don't play well with others. They don't really have abilities that do anything other than blow other people up. Yeah. Uh, so to see an aspect of a warlock put into play 
that does deal with other people and give other people abilities to do things is both interesting and uh, jarring a bit, I think, at least for me. What, what I think could be interesting is, and, and this is always true of, of the pact, is that when you mix your pact and your patron, you can tell a neat story, right? So mm-hmm. if, if, if your pact is something like the old, or your, yeah, your, your patron is something like you know, the old one, you mm-hmm. know, this eldritch horror, you can imagine that when someone puts on your amulet, it's got to feel gross, right? right. Like it's got to right. have a writhing feeling. Maybe it gives you sort of nightmares or visions and, you know, mm-hmm. you need to climb that wall here. Just wear this. Oh, yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No. You know, path of the uh, patron is your, is a fiend, you know, it's burning into your flesh is how it feels like, even though it's causing no damage. You know, so, so yeah. like, it can be kind of neat to, yeah. to do that. And it's all about, dressing that up yep very true uh the next optional class feature is eldritch versatility and whenever you reach a level that in this class that grants the ability score improvement you can do one of the following you can replace a cantrip that you learned from the packed magic feature with a different cantrip from the warlock spell list you can replace the option you chose from your packed boon feature with another uh, option of that feature or when you're 12th level or higher Replace one spell from your Mystic Arcanum feature with another Warlock spell of the same level. So it just gives you that sort of versatility as you level up. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing here is they're letting you change that Pact Boon feature. That's, you know, mm-hmm. a pretty interesting change. So you could be, uh, you could choose, you know, Pact of the Talisman now if you, you know, next time you get to a mm-hmm. uh, ability score level. Yep. And... Now they give you, in Tasha's, several other Eldritch invocation options. Uh, So let's just go through them alphabetically. Bond of the Talisman. You must be, of course, a Pact of the Talisman featured uh, warlock, and you must be 12th level. Here is what it does. When someone else is wearing your Talisman, you can use your action to teleport to the unoccupied space closest to them provided the two of you are on the same plane of existence. The wearer can do the same thing using their action to teleport to you. The teleportation can be used a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and all expended uses are restored when you finish a long rest. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I always dig teleportation of this type. There was there were all those fey warlocks that would teleport all over the place in 4th edition. I, I like that. And I like that the sort of this... You know, that it's based on the talisman and you. It, it further incentivizes you to give it to them. And you could swap spaces and do kind of, you know, benign transmission type swaps. And that's pretty neat. Um, the, the only thing is it is 12th level, so you're getting up there to, to use it. Um, yeah. But I guess that prevents it from being too much in the shenanigans category. But it's still super fun. Yeah. And this is the first time that I've really looked at this proficiency bonus use number of times equal to your proficiency bonus as I liked that. I like that they have started to use that because it is easier to see what the variation is going to be. You know, what level you are, you know, how many times you're going to be able to use that. What, what is rough though, is that if you use that too much, especially at lower levels, you just, it's not the case here because here you need to be a 12th level warlock to do this. But if you start using that with low levels, all you need is one level of something, and then you can use it 
when you get up to, you know, higher levels five or six times by just taking that one, yeah. uh, one level. So you, that's something that while it's good to use because it is a known quantity, you have to be careful about using sure. it too much with multi-classing. Yeah. Not, it has to like, be like I said, a design. Yeah. It's like a design checkbox you have to do. Is this low level? Am I using proficiency bonus? Will that then be an exploit where you just dip in for right. getting this feature and then use it all the time? Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. So just something to keep in mind there. Yep. The alternate is that what used to be here is something along the lines of equal to your intelligence bonus or equal right. to your charisma bonus. And then you'd have to struggle with, oh, well, I was actually going to be this kind of warlock. You know, so I didn't have a very good secondary stat or I might not even have a primary stat because I'm multi-classed. And this just takes that away and says, well, if you're going to be Pact of the Talisman, you will do this effectively. And it doesn't matter how many levels in Warlock you have or what your ability focus is. It's going to work that way, which is mm -hmm. in some ways a little more like what we think of fiction wise. So I like right. that aspect of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, the next Eldritch Invocation option is Eldritch Mind. You have advantage on constitution saving throws that you make to maintain your concentration on a spell. Yeah, kind of like Warcaster type situation. Yep. Um, great for the melee types. You have all these, you know, sword packed uh, warlocks. I, I would love mm -hmm. something like this for the ranger to do it yeah. reliably. And the druid, who every single spell yeah. it seems like is a concentration <laughs> spell. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a good feature. It obviously uh, duplicates Warcaster, um, in, or one of the the uh, aspects of the Warcaster. So save you a feat if that's all that you wanted from the Warcaster. Uh, next is Far Scribe. You must be a fifth level warlock with the Pact of the Tome feature. A new page appears in your Book of Shadows. With your permission, a creature can use its action to write its name on that page, which can contain a number of names equal to your proficiency bonus. Uh, you can cast a sending spell targeting a creature whose name is on the page without using a spell slot and without using material components. So there you go. You can you can talk to folks. Uh, it's, yeah. it's your contact list. Right. Incoming <laughs> text message. Yep. Yeah. 25 words or less is what sending lets you do. They hear it normally in their mind. Um, and they know it's coming from you and then they can, uh, respond. Um, and this is interesting because it requires you, the target hears the message in their mind and you get their message on the paper, which mm -hmm. is what well, I, I do like that visual imagery, right. right? Like this is great way of using the tome and making like, it, you know, you can just imagine during play people sharing this, right? Right. Cool. You, you you think and then you look, read your book to find the answer, yeah. which is which is nice. Yeah, um, great flavor. Yeah. Next is Gift of the Protectors. It's a ninth for a ninth level warlock with a uh, Pact of the Tome feature. A new page appears in your Book of Shadows. Uh, with your permission, you do the name writing thing again. You can collect the same number of names as before, and then when any creature whose name is on the page is reduced to zero hit points and not outright killed. The creature magically drops to one hit point instead. Uh, once this is triggered, no creature can benefit from it until you finish a long rest. So this is, it's like a DNR. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or is it a DR? Yeah, a, a DNR. Uh, D, please, a PR, please resuscitate. <laughs> so the creatures, yeah, the creature whose name is in your book, one of your party members, 
or you know an important npc drops to uh zero hit points oh nope they're at one your book has uh, saved their life for the moment yeah I mean, again, I, I love the flavor of this. Mechanically, it's cool. Everybody gets to be a half-orc. Um, I like that mechanically you can write several names, but it helps only one. They could have easily have done it that just you choose one person to write the name, sort of like the way when you cast Death Ward, which is sort of what this is like. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem with that is you don't know who's going to drop, and so it might just be useless. But this way you get more utility out of it. And I love the flavor of it because, you know, again, if I'm Path of the Fiend and writing your name in my Pact of the Tome, or Patron is Fiend, and I'm yeah. using Pact of the Tome, and I'm writing your name in my fiendish book of secrets, like that's yeah. kind of maybe a little eerie to you and maybe feels wrong. Maybe maybe I have to sign it in your blood or something, right? Like yeah. you could do some fun role-playing depending on what your group digs. Well, it's it's, it's even cooler because the creature must write its own name. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to sign over your name to yeah. your your friendly neighborhood warlock so good luck in contact that. with a dark yeah. power yeah so it's exactly. great stuff right I, I dig that that's big yeah. time yeah I, at ninth level i think i think it's okay but you know as a dm who has dm'd a lot of fifth edition now and it's just so hard as a dm to challenge high level characters yeah. that you know having one more thing that you're now basically making a warlock and you know into a cleric momentarily but right it's yeah. it's like one more thing that keeps me from dropping a character um yeah though i don't mind characters going to one hit point because i know that they are feeling it yeah what i mind the most is not being able to get them to zero ever okay like i don't mind them popping pop to one because they know they know what happened they, they know that the dm <laughs> You know, the monster was a threat and still okay. is because you just have one single hit point and healing is only but so good. The problem is those buffers beforehand, right? When you can throw in aid plus uh, you know, temporary hit points and, you know, you're just never going to get to zero. And that's the problem with the game. Like, it's not like I want to kill characters. Not right. at all. Oh, no. But I do no. want yeah. it to feel like there are challenges and heroism, things like that. And I'm okay with going to one hit point. It, it's the never, you know, get, never get, getting below half your hit point level that I think some DMs really struggle with. How do I remotely challenge my party, right? Right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, next is Investment of the Chain Master. Not surprisingly, this is a feature for a Pact of the Chain Warlock. Uh, when you cast Find Familiar, you infuse the familiar with a measure, measure of your eldritch power, granting the creature these benefits. It gains either a fly speed or a swim speed of 40 feet. Uh, as a bonus action, you can command the familiar to take the attack action. Its weapons are considered magical for overcoming immunity or resistance to non-magical attacks. Uh, the familiar forces a creature to make a saving throw. Uh, if it forces a saving throw, it uses the spell save DC that you have. Uh, when it takes damage, you can use your reaction to grant it resistance against that type of damage. So you're, you're making your uh, familiar more interesting and tougher. Yeah, though it's not still very tough, right? Like, right. even if I have, like, a quasit with seven hit points, ooh, it has resistance. You know, like, mm -hmm. so 14? I mean, it's still going to die. Um, and and it takes my reaction to give it resistance. It's not going to matter. Uh, same thing with the saving throw. It uses my spell DC, but if it's a save for half, it's dead. You know, it's not going right. to save it from the fireball or anything like that. At, at very low levels, great. Um, but it's, it's sort of, 
I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. I'm curious what they really wanted to go for here. You yeah. still can't really summon your familiar and have it go toe to toe. And what I see most often in play is characters that find fam- players that find familiar want their familiar to use the help action, mm-hmm. magically never be a ta- target, and magically always grant somebody advantage. Right. To which I go, cool. Next round, they're going to want. They, or, it, what I usually do. This is how I handle it. Is I'll have them. I will tell them that the monster just gave a really close look at their familiar. Mm-hmm. And then the next time I say, do you want to keep your familiar there? And mm-hmm. usually have familiar retreats because they know yeah. this monster is just going to one shot it. And that's still true with this situation. Right. So, but, right. but it gives more options. And I think if you're using something like the owl that has flyby, mm-hmm. um, you know, now you can do that as a bonus action. Um, so that's kind of interesting, but yeah. True. Uh, next is protection of the talisman for seventh level warlocks with the pact of the talisman feature. Uh, when the wearer of your talisman fails a saving throw, they can add a d4 to the roll, potentially turning the save into a success. You can use that a number of times equal to that proficiency bonus. And then all expended uses are restored when you finish a long rest. So you or someone else can uh, get a d4 on your saving throws that you failed for, for a few times. Nothing too uh, exciting there. It's yeah. obviously useful, but um, not overpowered. Rebuke of the Talisman for uh, any level warlock with the Pact of the Talisman feature. Uh, when the wearer of your talisman is hit by an attacker, you can see within 30 feet of you. You can use your reaction to deal psychic damage to the attacker equal to your proficiency bonus and push it 10 feet away, up to 10 feet away from the talisman's wearer. Yeah. Cool, and you can interrupt a multi-attack that way, uh, prevent something like swallow, grab kind of situations with that. Mm-hmm. So it could be pretty neat. Yep. Uh, next is Undying Servitude, which is a 5th level Warlock uh, feature for any type of Warlock. You can cast Animate Dead without using a spell slot. Once you do so, you can't cast it this way until you finish a long rest. Uh, yeah. I'm not a fan of Animate Dead. Yeah. Um the thing with Animate Dead is they hang around a long time, and so potentially you can have multiple of them, mm-hmm. and then you have this little horde of undead going around, um, especially if they're like doing it over time um, and building them up and then going to a combat. Uh, in this case, because you can use it without a spell slot, you can do it twice, and now you've got two of these zombies or whatever it is. I, I don't love it. Um, they're not the strongest undead, but they are still problematic. Some creatures just sort of clog the lane of battle and slow things mm-hmm. down, and uh, I don't love it. Yeah. Previous editions have been hurt by having too much going on under PC control. And, you know, sometimes just a druid would have summoned creatures and, and animal companions and summoned with spells and summoned with features, and it became ridiculous. And, yeah, to give everyone access to to be able to do that can become a, a an unfun part of D anD. d Yeah, and and the just with the new spells that they got, uh, there are a number of third level and higher third, mm-hmm. fourth, sixth level summoning spells that warlocks just got, and so this could be, you know, I cast animate dead twice, then I cast summon undead, then I cast. Summon fiend, and you know now my little army goes into the next fight, and the DM mm-hmm. just groans, and all the other players go, "Great, you're going to take your turn over the course of an hour." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so. and and in some ways, since that's not hyperbole, um, that actually you know 
does take that long at higher levels sometimes. Yeah. All right. So those were all of those uh, optional invocations. Now let's talk subclasses for the Warlock, the two new ones. The first is called the Fathomless, which has to do with the oceans and the deep seas. It brings to mind sort of a Dagon-like presence um, mm-hmm. with lots of tentacles thrown in for good measure. Or is it arms? That's a good question. Well, they talk about tentacles specifically in, in the... Uh, in the in the description so uh yeah. and as I we saw will a see tweet that apparently octopuses and, and almost any creature you think of as having tentacles they're actually arms scientifically speaking which really ruins mm-hmm. the fun of it and yeah. then somebody said one of the designers said uh well you know this is a fantasy game so in our game they're tentacles i'm like yay <laughs> yes <laughs> so, so we're back to tentacles here yes this is not reality this is dnd Tentacles. Uh, New uh, expanded first level spell list, some interesting spells in there that you think oceans, you think water, or you think tentacles, and you're like, okay, why is Thunder Wave on there, or Gust of Wind, or Lightning Bolt, or Corn of Cold? But you can just as easily flavor them. So Thunder Wave is not a wave of uh, thunder in this case, it is a blast of water that's pushing you back, or you know, it's the Gust clearly- of Wind. Yeah, they're going with a storm, but but I agree. Like the concept is not storm; it's the deep, right? But okay, I guess it's the storm that drags you into the deep or something. So, sure. but yeah, I like I like your idea of reflavoring it. That's cool. Yep. So so yeah, they have to put a spell in. Not every spell fits perfectly with tentacles or oceans. So yeah, you you make do with what you've got. Fine with, with all of those. Also, at first level, you get a feature called Tentacles of the Deep. So as a bonus action, you create a 10-foot-long tentacle at a point you can see within 60 feet of you. It lasts for one minute or until you use this feature to create a different tentacle. When you create the tentacle, you can make a melee spell attack against one creature within 10 feet of it. On a hit, it takes 1d8 cold damage, and its speed is reduced by 10 feet until the start of your next turn. Once you reach, reach 10th level, the damage is 2d8. As a bonus action on your turn, you can move the tentacle up to 30 feet and repeat the attack. Uh, And you can summon the tentacle a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. So here is that first level. You get something equal to your proficiency bonus. So Mm -hmm. even one level uh, of of this is letting you do it more and more. Uh, And then you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So the thing here is that D8 isn't a lot of damage warlocks have always had these sort of features that it's sort of like this little bit of damage you're adding but you have to roll and do all this thing and so you know it is sort of a little bit of baggage now where it becomes more meaningful is if you have like the hex spell uh hex does a boost to any damage you make so this would trigger hex in addition to your normal attacks and now it's more significant um but yeah I, I, overall it's cool i mean i like that it's thematic um, but it does it does eat up a little bit of time to do that separate attack and yeah we'll see yeah. The, the other uh, it's interesting to see what the genie does sort of differently so we'll, we'll compare to yeah. that later yep and you should be noted this is a bonus action not an action right. um, that that you're using to attack so you can still make your action with any so it's sort of a spiritual weapon uh, for yeah. for, for the warlock or like flaming sphere but it also means that it then intrudes on things like you would not as a warlock now choose flaming sphere because that's gonna be that would right. use your bonus action normally true and now 
this is eating it up. So, yeah. Yep. And so since you're getting this at first level, my, my first thought was, I wonder if it's going to be able to grapple. Oh, good. I'm glad it's not able to grapple at first level. Let's see where we go from here. You also, at first level, get Gift of the Sea, which gives you a swim speed of 40 and allows you to breathe underwater. So that fits perfectly Sweet. with sort of that, that sort of thing. And it's not overpowered uh, unless everything that you do is a water-based adventure. Well, uh, and that's the thing is if you know that you're doing an aquatic campaign, this becomes yeah. an instant pick, right? This is For sure. For sure. Uh, at sixth level, you get Oceanic Soul. You're even more at home in the depths. You gain resistance to cold damage. In addition, when you are fully submerged, any creature that is also fully submerged can understand your speech and you can understand theirs. Uh, so it's interesting thematically, right? You are Aquaman. <laughs> You're able to uh, to use telepathy to to talk to anything that's fully submerged, uh, which is probably usually going to be either something that you're trying to communicate with as an NPC or your own party members. And this goes back to that sort of telepathy issue that we talked about a, a week or two ago. For me, we, when we're in a situation where the players, the characters could not be able to talk to each other, I usually try to play that out and it usually lasts about 10 minutes. Yeah. And then especially if you're on a time schedule that just sort of slips away and everyone knows what everyone else is doing, thinking, even if they're miles apart or could not otherwise talk. Uh, and that, that's sort of the thing that this seems to be a big, oh, good, we can do that. But is it really that powerful? No, not not really. I mean, obviously, the uh, resistance to cold is is important. Right. But and it's it's also sort of kind of bizarre. Like, yeah, there's the whole thing you're saying, which is that we already sort of assume that somehow characters are communicating and good luck stopping them. Right. And like you said, you can't keep that up for long. Um, I haven't seen a four hour adventure where characters weren't talking to each other underwater. Right. Um, and then that the fact that, you know, we've spoken about this previously, that D&D has often had this very controlled approach to how you can speak with other creatures. It has to be in a language that you understand or with a creature that understands. Or it, it doesn't say here that they must understand your language. Right. So it's almost like there's this weird bubbly mumbly language thing that gets magically communicated. So it's a little weird. And, and so I would think that any creature, but it doesn't even say that any creature that must have a language. Like, right. It just says any creature that's also fully submerged can understand your speech and you can understand theirs. Yeah. So I guess if they can't speak, they can't say anything back, but they should be able to understand you regardless, which is sort of a funny. I, I, I would say this slipped past, yeah. uh, you know, right. Jeremy Crawford would be my guess. I mean, what yeah. do I know? But that would be my guess because they've been so consistent about not allowing things like this. It's very interesting to see it suddenly yeah. work. I mean, I went right back to what I grew up with, which was the old Super Friends cartoon where mm -hmm. they show Aquaman riding the seahorse and then yeah. these little rings coming out of his head that showed he, he could telepathically control the, or talk to all the creatures of sea the sea. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's yeah. what I see there. Uh, also at sixth level, you get guardian coil. So your tentacles of the deep can defend you and others interposing itself between them and harm. When you or a creature you can see takes damage while within 10 feet of the tentacle, you can use your reaction to choose one of those creatures and reduce the damage to that creature by 1d8. 
at 10th level. It is reduced by 2d8. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about this. One of the knocks of 4e was every class felt the same, right? Yeah. And I feel like as we get more and more of these subclasses, everyone is stepping into everyone else's lane. We now have the warlock who is a paladin, who is defending <laughs> others and himself from damage. Uh, now, yes, he's using this tentacle, so it's not holy or, you know, valiant. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. The, the idea that it, the that what the tentacle does is reduce damage is, to me, not quite fitting with the, you know, with the warlock theme. I would rather it be that maybe if it was just even once per day and you could, as a reaction, pull an ally away, mm -hmm. you know, that might be interesting just once. But, but as a reaction... Um, can you do because you can just do this all the time, right? Uh, I did not see anything that limited it when yeah. I was taking my notes. Yeah, so Let it's me... just a constant paladin-like, shield-like fighter type thing, and and I yeah, it, it, to me this is not what the warlock. The warlock's icky, gross stuff, not you know, right? Protecting their allies, um, and if it was to do so, I'd want to see it pretty limited, not constant. Um, something else could have gone here. Honestly, your grapple might have been better. <laughs> yeah. But wait for it. <laughs> yes, wait for it. Uh, so at 10th level, you get, guess what? Grasping tentacles. Uh, when you learn, or you learn the spell Ivar's Black Tentacles, it counts as a warlock spell for you, but it does not, but it doesn't count against the number of spells you know. You can also cast it once without a spell slot. That's important for warlocks. And you regain to do so, the ability to do so with a long rest. Um, when you cast the spell, your patron's magic bolsters you, granting you a number of temporary hit points equal to your warlock level. Moreover, damage can't break your concentration on this spell. <laughs> a, this is probably my least favorite spell ever <laughs> because it just slows the game down so much and one of the few joys of being able to break concentration was that this spell could be broken and that one line shot me right through the heart yeah i'm like oh no it's there and you can't break concentration on it well i played a third level ranger uh, sorry a third edition ranger that would cast entangle all the mm -hmm. time yeah. which was even worse, right? That was like a, right. what was it, like 60-foot radius? Yeah, it's completely huge. absurd. It was enormous, and it would, you know, hold everybody down, and, oh, DMs hated me. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. But this, yeah, it's it's a bit much. Um, it, it It's also interesting that they make it such a big deal. Like, it's one thing to offer the option, but this is, it just demands that you use this all the time. Right. Because you also get temporary hit points yeah. and you can't go wrong with the concentration. So yeah, it, you just know this thing's getting thrown down all the time. Yeah and, yeah. and now it doesn't say that you don't have to concentrate on it. So you still do need to concentrate on it, but damage can't break uh, your yeah. concentration on the spell. And then my thought was, well, as a DM, many different things could break your concentration, right? They give an example of trying to concentrate aboard a, a ship that is mm -hmm. being pummeled by waves. So that's technically not damage, right? Uh, right. So, okay. The, yeah. An earthquake just happens to uh, give me a DC 30 concentration check. Uh, but no, yeah, I mean, I, thematically it's perfect, right? This is exactly is. 
exactly what this class is supposed to be. Uh, so I, I, I can't argue with thing, that. We used to see spells like this used all the time in third edition. Mm-hmm. And what fifth edition, in fifth edition, they're less popular. And, and the reason is generally that they are now hard to work around other characters in the party. True. And average is true of that too, right? It's big downfall is it affects any creature. And so this 20 foot square is just a trouble area. Um, so yeah. sometimes your party members are also like, ah, oh, you use that spell. All right. I guess I can't fight that thing. I got to right. go after yeah. the archer or whatever. And- yeah. I mean, just to, just to be perfectly clear, I don't want, to kill characters you know i i want the players and their characters to win yeah and i i don't when i don't like a spell that's too powerful it's not because that they're too powerful it's spells that slow things down it's spells that make the game unfun for dms but also for like you say for other players and uh, honestly or, or often unwittingly right where the character mm-hmm is in their mind imagining what is true of average, which is this, it's this awesome visual of these tentacles swirling up and grabbing the foes. But what results in is a ton of checks having to be rolled yep. and then checks constantly being rolled against its effects. And then people mm-hmm. having to worry about where it's situated and how to move around it. And so it just becomes this constant thing that you're dealing with. And mm-hmm. so now you're going to see it occur, you know, maybe twice per day and, right. Yeah. Yep. And the fighter and the barbarian without effective ranged weapons, they're just going to run in, right? Because they want to have fun. And then that ends up going sideways 95% of the time. Beverage uh, mosh pit. Yep. Exactly. So that was the 10th level feature. The 14th level feature is called Fathomless Plunge. You can magically open temporary conduits to watery destinations. As an action, you can teleport yourself and up to five other willing creatures that you can see within 30 feet of you. Amid a whirl of tentacles, you all vanish and then reappear up to one mile away in a body of water you've seen, pond size or larger, or within 30 feet of it, each of you appearing in an unoccupied space within 30 feet of the others. And you can use this feature. Uh, Once you use it, you can't use it again until you finish a short, or a long rest. Uh, I just Googled what size is a pond. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this, yeah, this so, place that sells ponds says it's roughly 100 <laughs> square feet, but I think they're in the business of selling right. you a pond, so it's different. But yeah, I um, this is a weird feature. You don't yeah. have to be on water to use it, but you have to know where this pond or lake or whatever it is is. This yeah. is only going to work in an aquatic campaign, right? I mean, nobody, yeah. as you're traveling to the dungeon, your DM doesn't tell you about, I mean, I guess you could, if, if DMs, if you right. have a, you know, uh, what's the name of the fathomless, you know, character, well, I guess you need to periodically give them some pawns and stuff, but yeah, it's a little bizarre. I, I, this could have worked differently. Yeah. And the up to one mile away is absolutely strange because how often, as you said, are you within one mile of a large enough body of water, you know, that you saw that you, right. that you that, that interacted you with. Or, so it's, yeah. it's not even that, Oh, I can retreat to my watery, uh, lair. Right. This is just like, okay, you're going to a watery place. And it's such a bizarre, like you don't usually want to leave a dungeon, you know, even if you're in a pickle, you know, right. you want to do something like go into a portable hole. You don't want to, yeah. you know, leave it. Yeah, because the bad guys will probably know you're there and do things, and you know, so it's a very bizarre 
feature for your 14th level feature you could i bet you could play 10 campaigns and never use this right yeah right like yep okay so you know overall it's not my favorite i don't like warlocks anyway so <laughs> so just you know from a personal perspective not super enthused about it but it, yeah. it's got lots of flavor it is certainly a a concept that has a place in especially horror sort of Cthulhu-y uh, campaigns where, where this tentacled watery octopus-like being of, of great power. I think uh, I like, edged towards liking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, the Warlock is problematic. I loved, loved, loved 4th edition Warlocks. 5th um, edition, I, I just have issues with the core. The skeleton of how they're structured mm-hmm. is to me problematic. Yeah. Um, this one is it's got some hidden miss pieces and I bet that what I would do is I would want to play this with a in a campaign where I could change a few features out. Sure. Um, because I really like some aspects of it. But all right, mm-hmm. let's go to one that I really like though. Okay, we are going to get to the genie then. The concept, well the name says it all. It's a powerful pact with a pr- primordial entity. Uh, so you can choose fire, water, air or earth when you take this subclass. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. First, you get your expanded spell list. Uh, you can either choose or roll a die to see if you are bonded with a gene, an afrit, a marid, or a dao, representing affinity to air, fire, uh, water, or earth. And then the spells that you get on your expanded spell list correspond to that element. Plus the genie type. Yeah, it's sweet. Mm-hmm. Neat concept. Um, I like throughout this genie, what they do to take one concept and make it four, mm-hmm. I think is nicely done. It, it's not taking up a huge amount of extra words to do so. And yet you get this sweet flavor so that two genies can be very different. That's, that's cool. It is cool. And it give it make, it forces you to make these decisions away from the table rather than at the table. You're not yes. going through a list of options while everyone's looking at their watch, waiting for you to act. You do all of this ahead of time, get yep. the flavor, get the change, then you come to the table. I like that. Yeah, and we have to note that at ninth level, your expanded spell list includes wish, which is just, you know, dreams yeah. do come true. That's true. Um, so at first level, in addition to that expanded spell list where you have chosen your affinity, you also gain genie's vessel. So your patron gifts you a magical vessel that grants you a measure of the genie's power. This is a tiny object and you can use it as a spellcasting focus for your warlock spells. When touching the vessel, you can do the following. Uh, you can do bottled respite. As an action, you can magically vanish and enter your vessel, which remains in the space you left. The interior of the vessel is an extra-dimensional space in the shape of a 20-foot radius cylinder, 20 feet high, and resembles your vessel. So you are going into the genie's bottle. Yep. Is That's essentially sweet. what it is. And, you know, lots of different um, flavorful things you can do. It can, can be a bottle. It can be a lamp. It can be whatever thing you can yeah. imagine. Uh, I, I can't say that giving a, a mini version of Rope Trick at first level is my <laughs> favorite thing. Uh, because it's uh, now it's only you. You can't take anyone with you at this point. Currently, yeah, at this point. Yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't think it's horribly overpowered, but if you get that player who, you know, is, is not in sync with everybody else, this could be, 
this could be a problem. And well, uh, you can also your your vessel can be destroyed, right? It's yeah. not a very strong, powerful thing, especially at low levels. So, you know, if somebody can break that lamp and out you come. Yeah. Uh, this totally reminds me of Jim Dark Magic in the Acquisitions Incorporated mm-hmm. streams, where at times he will simply retreat into his rope trick and just right. doesn't care what's happening to everybody else. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about with a problematic yeah. character. Yeah. Well, what I like about it being at first level is you just know that this is a thing. And as a DM, you're going to create a relationship with this player and sort of figure this out, right, mm-hmm. in the campaign and and. and and then with the players as well. And, and that's where I brought up Jim Dark Magic because he has an understanding as a person, as a player, with the other players, that this is the kind of feeling his character has about everybody, right? And right. He will at times go into great heroic moves, but he's often going to do things like retreat into his vessel. Yep. And, and, you know, that's a great example because as a, as a player, he knows that he, both he and his uh, compatriots have sort of a plot immunity, right? Yeah. The, the DM may kill their character, but there's going to be more. Uh, <laughs> so he, he can act like, you know, this non-caring person and the rest of the party may pay for it, but there's always an out. So yeah. that's the difference between certain DMs campaigns, right? If you're a DM or if you're a player in a campaign with a DM where if you die, that's it. You know, or yeah, make a new totally. character. Where there's no plot immunity. Uh, be, playing with that type of character uh, changes dramatically your feeling about those types of players and characters. So, uh, the second thing you get is Genie's Wrath. Uh, once during each of your turns, when you hit with an attack roll, you can deal extra damage to the target equal to your proficiency bonus. Uh, the type of damage is determined by your patron. Uh, so it's earth is bludgeoning, air is thunder, fire, uh, yep, fire is fire, and, uh, and uh, is cold, yeah. yep, water is cold. And here again, you get your proficiency bonus at first level. So you take one level, and all your attacks by the end are doing an extra D whatever one, once per turn. Once per t- once per turn, yeah. right? Yeah, once per so turn. Every, yeah. every attack. Uh, you're yeah. doing extra damage, even if you're a first level uh, character. So something to be aware of there. On the other hand, what I like, and you know, we talked about this with, with the Fathomless. The Fathomless gives you this tentacle attack that's a separate attack roll, uses your bonus action, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And we have to wonder, is it worth it for the D8 roll, right? right. And later 2D8. Here, we're just dishing some extra damage to the target with our proficiency bonus. Ends up being a lot faster, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. I kind of, as much as it, it does have that possibility of the dipping in, I just know that once a turn, this character has given me this extra little boost of damage. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I sort of like that better speed-wise. For sure. Wise. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Uh, the vessel's armor class is equal to your spell DC, and its hit points are equal to your warlock level plus your proficiency bonus, and it's immune to poison and psychic damage. So if somebody targets it, it's going to hit and if you jump inside it it's no longer a worn item uh so it can be attacked just as easily as anything else it's kind um, of surprisingly it, vulnerable yeah I mean, yeah you can be 14th level and this thing would be what like i don't know 18 yeah. hit points or something I don't know if right yeah proficiency bonus but it's not a lot i mean it's, <laughs> it doesn't have 50 hit points right Ooh, and it's not like hardness or anything like that it's just literally yep someone could but you can, you can always uh, reconstitute it after performing an hour-long ceremony. Um, you can do it during a short or a long rest. 
and uh, you know, so you you get it back because you need it. Uh, at sixth level, you get elemental gift. You now have resistance to the type of damage determined by your patron's kind. Uh, in addition, as a bonus action, you can give yourself a fly speed equal to 30 feet that lasts for 10 minutes, and you can also hover. And you can use this as a bonus action a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses after a long rest. This is a missed opportunity to describe how the bottom half of your body turns into swirling mist, but exactly. other than that, I think it's excellent. I mean, uh, it's also worth noting bludgeoning is an unusual resistance, right? Like, yeah, resistance to bludgeoning. Yeah, it, it, that that is interesting. Uh, but they they were probably probably trying to figure out what else you could give to to earth creatures. So there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm I'm totally cool with this. Uh, I don't know how earth creatures fly, but okay, that's I'll I'll, I'll give you that. Um, and it's all good. At tenth level, you get sanctuary vessel. Now, when you enter, enter the vessel via bottled respite, uh, you can choose five willing creatures to come with you. Now it's now it's uh, rope trick. Now it's Liaman's tiny hut. Uh, so all, all those things. Uh, you can eject as a bonus action any number of creatures from the vessel. And everyone is ejected if you leave or die or if the vessel, vessel is destroyed. Uh, and then... Anyone, including you, who remains in the vessel for at least 10 minutes gains the benefit of finishing a short rest. And anyone can add your proficiency bonus to the number of hit points they regain if they spend any hit dice as part of that short rest. That's pretty strong for 10th level. That is very strong for 10th level. So, um, yeah. 10 minutes, a short rest, and, it, and it, it gains the benefits of finishing long rest. There are a lot of things that you can or short rest, a lot of things you can do during a short rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just spend hit dice, which is right. boosted here. And if you have a bard, which you'd want to have, oh, now you're really regaining hit points. Getting spell um, slots back as a... Yeah, as a, all your features. Well. Attune to magic, identify a magic item. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you could do, and 10 minutes is not much. So this is pretty surprising. Um, I mean, the, just the reality is any DM with this in their party running at 10th level, you're going to have to make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. It's true. Uh this also begs the question, what happens if I open a rope trick and a tiny hut inside the sanctuary vessel? Yep. Can I use, access my portable hole? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll, something DMs just think about ahead of time. I also really want to run this uh, character and um, that, that flavors this all as like a VIP only, you know, uh, club mm-hmm. as your vessel, right? And so you can eject them at will and like, <laughs> That's it. Party's over, and you leave, and everybody's dumped out on the ground. You know, like just... Yep. It'd be fun. And at 14th level, you get Limited Wish. Uh, used to be a spell. You entreat your patron to grant you a small wish. As an action, you can speak your desire to your genie's uh, vessel, requesting the effect of one spell of 6th level or lower that has the casting time of one action. It can be from any class of spell list, and you don't need to meet the requirements for that spell, including costly components. Um, the spell simply takes effect as part of that action. Uh, and then you can use this feature again, but only after you finish 1d4 long rests. Uh, it's always shocking when Wizards decides to uh, do uh, the whole 1d4 thing, right? Like, like out right. of nowhere, it'll be 1d4 or 1d3, and you're like, why? Like, why? Yeah. Why did we suddenly do this? I like that idea 
of not knowing, but then you should not know, right? Does the player know that, oh, after our third long rest, we'll be able to do this again? Um, yeah. Because that sort of breaks the whole idea of we don't know. It's it's this chaotic being that may or may not help me with this thing. You know, so... And, and, you know, it's I have trouble keeping track of things from round to round, much less. OK, how many long rests have we, it's four long rests until we can do this again? Are we three long rests in was when was our last long rest again? Yeah, it's that's a long time to keep track of certain information. Yeah, the other thing is that when you are high enough in proficiency bonus, um, you can take a long rest inside of this thing. Mm -hmm. So you could sort of shorten it by a day, you know, so if you wanted to sort of use it again, right. Uh, let's see, what do you need? You need plus four. So you, if you're ninth level or higher, so actually once you have the, you know, so, so ninth level or higher lets you have eight hours worth inside of this. Mm -hmm. Um, you can only take one long rest per day. That's the one thing that saves you here. Right. That, that's a core rule. But um, you could eat up one of these, you know, mm -hmm. stashed away here. Yeah. And then you're maybe you already get your limited wish back, or you could, yeah. You know, a few now, now at this point, you can sort of cast six level spells anyway. Right. Uh, now, not any but, spell that yeah. you need. Uh, I would just rather have them say there is a forty percent chance that your that your patron will grant you this, yeah. you know, just to, just to make it a little, or 50%, even 50%, you yeah. know, it's, I think it's these, sort of a, these one D fours or things like that. It's, it's a vestige of the past where everything operated this way. You used to cast hold person and you'd roll, you know, I don't know, two D four or something to see how many rounds it last. Right. You would cast bless and you would roll to see how long it lasts. There are a lot of things where durations were just surprising and variable. Um, and now, almost nothing works that way so when it suddenly mm. shows up it's like why yeah you know like why is this chaotic and right. if it is chaotic why is it a die roll where like you said we're not entirely clear what to communicate to players or you know should the dm roll this uh who knows and why not just make it a percent chance to get it back or something mm. yeah yeah that's interesting i yep. i think i would take that kind of random roll out i don't think it does a whole lot unless you're really going with a chaotic themed mm -hmm. feature in class right. yep and you can count on someone in the group whether the player the dm or you know the accountant of the, of the party uh yeah. to keep to keep track of these things on the other hand you know what's really cool about this is man talk about a super flexible and flavorful feature mm -hmm. right oh like, yeah any six level or lower spell. I mean, one thing is the players gonna have to do their homework before time to go through all the lists and think about what kind of cool things should I have on my trick, sure. you know, available that I could do pull out of nowhere. Um, yeah. It's I really love the flavor of it, and and I don't know this whole theme. I think is really superb. Yeah, um, easily you know one of the top picks I would think of when I'm gonna do another warlock. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I my my thing with the with the warlock is okay. How are they gonna you know, go through these convoluted hoops to come up with another patron. This seem yeah, and this one make made perfect sense right from the start. I'm like, okay, yes, obviously, you know, yeah. these powerful primordial genies, uh, perfect patrons, and perfect. I love I love the the theme and the feel and, and most of it, the most yeah. of the features. Yeah, 
this is so perfect that could have been in the player's handbook, right? Which is for sure. Yeah. You almost can't say that about anything in Tasha's. True. Like none of them are sort of so core and so fitting a concept. They're all sort of wacky concepts or, right. you know, or an, or an also concept. This is one that we really could say it is so in the lore mm-hmm. that it could have been in the, <clears throat> could have been in the player's handbook. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of it. I, the warlock in general is, is a weird class with a lot of features that you only get to dip in a few times, you know, many spells, but few slots, things like mm-hmm. that. So it's, it's a strange class to play. I generally think it's more for advanced players, but when it comes to this genie subclass, that's great. Mm-hmm. Now, normally we would be going into our DM side of things, but we've been going on for quite a while. Yeah. So I think we're going to save puzzles, which is the next part of the chapter four DM dungeon masters tools. We'll do that next time. Cool. Um, if, by your leave, listeners, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. We hope you enjoy all our shows. So thank you to our listeners, and also thank you to our patrons. We've had a few new patrons come on board recently, and so we thank you for uh, showing us your support. If you would like to become a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash MMP and support not only our show, but the two other shows that are part of that Patreon. Uh, Teos. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can grant your genie's wish and go to Twitter at AlphaStream. Uh, and I have a blog at AlphaStream.org where I recently put up the uh, list or links to all of our Tasha's sort of index of all of our Tasha's coverage. So if you're wondering, hey, when did they cover uh, you know, the, the Rogue? Uh, and I want to go straight to that episode. Um, you can find that at AlphaStream.org. I love having uh, someone who's really on top of things and has has uh, has has their stuff together because that's Let's totally not, not me. So but where can uh, we find you, Sean? Oh well, you can find me and my scattered thoughts on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can go to the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com and talk to us directly. You can also follow the podcast Twitter at Mastering DND. Mastering Dungeons is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of encoded designs. So, Teos, now that we have gotten through Warlock, what are we going to do now? Go kill some monsters with tentacles. <laughs> you, you got me there. I am ready for that. <laughs> as long as they're not Evard's black tentacles. Yeah. Yeah.